0: of God's people as relayed to a young preacher who had the responsibility of finding pastors for the churches in Crete, and uh, who did, uh, obviously, that task and fulfilled it. And we're coming to the end. And uh, closing remarks, good old closing remarks. Sometimes uh, we look at those and we say, well, what, are, what is there for us? And uh, quite frankly, in Titus chapter 3, verses 8 to 16, or 8 to 15, sorry, Uh, you might think, well, there's not much for me, but there are some things for us to consider. So follow along. I'm going to read through the rest of the chapter, and then uh, we will dig right into our personal responsibilities and uh, providing practical instructions for life. The Bible says, this is a faithful saying, And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, um, but avoid, I'm sorry, did I, I skip that or whatever, but, ever, but avoid foolish questions, try it again, and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenus the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee, greet them that love us in the faith, grace be with you all, amen. And it was written, we find, to Titus, ordained the first bishop of the church of the Cretans. Isn't that a great, you know, that's what they tell us. All right, so let's uh, pray and ask God to help us now. Father, give us understanding, give us wisdom and under, uh, from your word tonight. And I pray that you would use the word of God to challenge us uh, about our own lives and what you expect from us and help us to, to realize that, um, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable to us. And May we be uh, challenged and stirred about our personal responsibility and we pray that you'd use these things for your glory and honor. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Titus chapter 1, 2 and 3, all three deal with what Christians are supposed to be, what God desires of us. And we said that there were four things, as we get to this last portion of Titus uh, chapter 3, that God would expect from us. And the first thing we learned, and we, we already spent time on this, in fact, it was the entire lesson, last time we met, which was about, or last time we preached on it, which was about six months ago, it seems like, uh, but it was before the, the Christmas and those things that were going on. Uh, we shared the, that there are four things to start with the letter A, and the first was affirm. Do you remember that? In fact, do you even have the outline still? All right, some of you may. Um, Paul told Titus, look, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. So uh, you say, what is the faithful saying? Uh, some people want to point backwards, which I think it ultimately does point backwards. Some want to point forward, and it can be understood either way. Um, the faithful saying can be that those and uh, that needs to be affirmed is they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. But I think more likely the faithful message is that God has shed his love on us abundantly and saved us by grace. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't win it. God has offered us the gift of salvation. And because he has, Titus was to affirm constantly, Christians should live a godly life. And if you haven't heard a message like that, then go back to this morning. Because this morning we were challenged from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1 about that very fact. Those who have been saved, those who have been made part of the family of God, should live a, go- a godly life. So he was to affirm this message was to be given, and I'm going over the outline real quickly, confidently it was to be shared uh, consistent, consistently or continually. He says, I want you to affirm these things constantly, all the time. So this is something, you know what? This is something we got to preach on all the time because we have a tendency in our human life to to stray from this maintaining good works and constantly doing Good works for other people. Um, It's a message, we said, for Christians. It's a message that demands contemplation because we're to be careful. We're to exercise thought. We're to think about ways we can do others good. In fact, quite honestly, if I were going to describe the last part of of Titus chapter 3, it's this. God has told us we're supposed to have relationships with. And those relationships require we treat people different ways depending upon how they act. This passage, first, if you would, challenge of that, that needs to be affirmed constantly before God's people is that people need us to do good. In fact, you look at the verse, what does it say at the end? Doesn't it say these things are they're profitable, they're beneficial. Beneficial to what people? Well, if you look back, actually, at the beginning of the chapter, because verse 8 looks backward, verse 8 looks forward to the verses that, that follow. But if you go back to the beginning, to um, those who are authorities, and then to all men, verses 1 and 2, you find that these things are to be done. So this maintaining good works to be done before all men, lost, saved, whoever it might be, leaders, or just the average person, were to be looking for opportunities, thinking about opportunities, exercising thought and careful thought about how we can do people good because that profits people. It's a message that affects then our conduct. And, um, and and looking for opportunities. By the way, you remember what we said about this word? We're supposed to be careful to do what in verse 8? feel like I'm preaching the whole message again. To maintain good works. Does anyone remember, say, we slept since then, what the word maintain means? Did anyone write that definition down? Okay, I'm not encouraged. Uh, <laughs> the word... <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Really, I didn't know if I if anyone would do this. The word literally means to preside. In scripture, a number of different times, it means to rule, which kind of is interesting, isn't it? Because it doesn't seem to make sense to maintain, to rule uh, over good works. Well, what is he talking about? The, the point and the idea seems to be this, that Christians are to take the lead in good works. In other words... We shouldn't be sitting back saying, okay, if I have to, if I have to be nice to my neighbor, I will. You know, if, if I'm put in a situation where, okay, I, I might have to do something, all right, I'll do it. But we're supposed to take the lead in this. We're supposed to be careful to maintain good works. We're to, we're to look at, for opportunities and we're to take the lead in it so that it's not as if we sit back and say, okay, wait, I'm waiting for God to give me an opportunity. As much as it is, I'm going to take opportunity, every opportunity that I have. If I see an opportunity because I'm looking for it and I'm thinking about it, I'm going to do something good. And I'm going to ask God to use that to maybe even open the doors to be a witness for Jesus Christ and share Christ with someone. I'm going to ask God to use that to maybe touch the heart of people and change them to make them more receptive to the gospel. I'm going to use it, and I'm going to ask God to use it so that it might uh, just... Maybe turn someone's attitude toward toward me, then I might have further opportunity to share Christ. So I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity that God gives me, and I'm going to take the lead in doing good works, and that's an important thing. Second word, though, we ended up right here in verse 9 as we left off, and you say, I don't remember any of, of the first one. Well, then you heard it, uh, a 45-minute message in about four minutes, all right? So, You say, Pastor, do that more. Um, No, sorry, not going to happen. Verse 9. Notice what God tells us now. What's the next A word? Avoid. The second of four words is avoid. God says, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Uh, The word avoid literally means to stand by or stand around. And here's another one. There, there actually are some strange words in, in here that aren't used a lot in Scripture or that don't seem to really fit. So we got to explain it, and I'd like to do that for you. In this instance, a book of Greek definitions explained it like this, to turn oneself about for the purpose of avoiding something. So it kind of gives us this picture that um, let's just say that, that Brother, uh, Brother Morris – was coming toward me, and Brother Morris was coming toward me to, um, oh, just to, to get into some argument about some some religious, some position or whatever that he takes. You know, some bizarre idea he has about what the Bible says. So here's the idea. As he's coming to me, wait a second, that doesn't really sound all that good. Really, I want to try that one of these days. No, I all right, but the idea would be that if he is coming truly with the attitude that he wants to argue something, he wants to d- debate something, he wants to, he wants to get into an argument, It the idea is turning oneself about for the purpose of avoiding some, something. So it really does. It, it almost gives, here's someone coming, they want to get into a controversial argument with you about something. Have you ever had a Christian do that? Like they just wanted to debate something. And the idea is have anything to do with it. That's interesting, isn't it? What's interesting to me in this last portion is that that Christians sometimes, with fellow Christians, have to act in a very stern way. And this is one of those. Avoid is a very strong word. And it does mean that I'm not going to sit and listen and debate and argue things. So let's, let's just walk through and explain verse 9. The responsibility. What's the responsibility? What does he tell you there? Right at the beginning. Avoid what? Foolish questions. All right, so I'm going to explain it or just put it in, in my own words. Shun profitless discussion i got to ask you, have you ever heard someone say there are no stupid questions? The only stupid questions are the ones that don't get asked. Paul begs to differ with you. There are stupid questions. You never had anyone tell you that before, so I'm telling you tonight. And Paul told us a couple thousand years ago there are stupid discussions. There are stupid questions. There really are. And you say, come on, pastor. All right, let me, you know what the word for foolish is, foolish questions in this verse? Moros. Which means dull, stupid, or absurd. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure we get our word moron from the Greek. Oops, we're not supposed to say that. There are moronic questions that people ask. You say, well, what what is a moronic question? Well, anyone, no, no, all right, not every question, but we're to avoid, seriously, moronic questions. What are they? They're questions about topics which are controversial, which are not designed to find answers, but they're designed to arouse debate. Jesus Christ was a master at following this verse. You remember when the um, Pharisees came with a moronic question about should we kill this woman? They brought a woman taken in adultery. Jesus didn't answer him. He ignored him. Totally ignored it, went on, and wrote, and, and they persist. Well, you're probably appreciative of the fact that I keep turning around and I have to look at my face. But, but uh, Jesus showed us by example, really tremendously, this picture of what's being talked about in this verse. That people who come and only want to debate issues are not to be given the time of day. Not to sit there and debate those things. You say, well, Pastor, what if someone has genuine questions about Bible truth? That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Jesus Christ welcomed people who ask questions like that. And we should as well. There's no problem with someone who has a genuine desire to learn, and they ask questions because they just don't understand. But we're to shun profitless discussion, debates. Um the subject of divorce and remarriage was a debatable subject in Jesus day. And that's why they brought that woman taking an adultery to him. It's still a hot topic today. And if someone wants to come and just debate it out so that you can have this long discussion, don't waste your time because God says it's moronic. Well, that's not my word. That's not my thought. You say, well, you sound pretty harsh, but Paul was very harsh. He said, avoid foolish, moronic questions. Don't get involved in those things. Don't get involved in, in arguing and, and debating those things and, and because it doesn't help. Now, in college, moronic discussions, I was thankful for this, were frowned upon. In fact, school leadership, uh, I remember in college, uh, would deal with groups who wanted to gather to contend, contend and, and just discuss matters. Probably more than anything would have been the Calvinism-Arminianism debate. Um, it's clear that there were things that were going on in this day that aren't necessarily issues we have today. Genealogies were a matter of debate. Questions about the law. You see that? Contentions and strivings about the law. Now, let me explain it, because I think this, is, this maybe helps clarify some things. There was a real serious question about the law, wasn't there? With Paul and um, churches uh, mentioned in the book of Acts. So much so... After there was great discussion that Paul and, was it Paul and Silas at that point? I think it was Paul and Silas. Ended up going back to Jerusalem and yeah. Something that had to be dealt with because they were debating and they were arguing, or if they were discussing this matter of how is someone saved and do you have to follow the law and do you have to do you have to be circumcised after you're saved and does this have to happen and and do you have to go according to the Jewish law? And so they went back to Jerusalem, they got an answer, and they came and they brought it to the people. There are good questions that have to be asked, but there are questions that people ask sometimes just to debate, and God says avoid it, don't get involved, don't do it. Um, You say, well, what's the reason? I'm glad you asked that. Notice he says, they are unprofitable and vain. The reason, so the responsibility, shun profitless discussion. The reason, they're useless and empty. Why do you avoid them? Why don't we answer those questions? Again, God isn't telling us serious questions regarding the word are to be ignored. Because people need answers. By the way, people need answers about Calvinism. They do, Um, but discussion and debate for the sake of debate, questions posed by people who aren't seeking answers but just wanting to argue, these questions are useless, they're empty, they don't serve any value or purpose. They only frustrate, they only frustrate. There's, There's very few people that are ever helped by those discussions, very few. And the reason why is because minds have already been made up. And the greatest danger, if you would, is the fact that good people are often ruined by these things. You say, that doesn't happen. Well, yes, it does. Just take a moment and look over 2 Timothy, would you? 2 Timothy, which is interesting because both pastors were warned about this. Both pastors were told that people are going to come with, well, I don't know if the same word is used with Timothy, moronic questions. Questions—they just want to debate and they just want to argue, and they're not smart questions. They're just things that are useless and empty. Now, look if you would at verse sixteen. But shun! Oh, do we do have the strong language here, don't we? But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will hanker. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus? Who concerning the truth have urged, saying that the resurrection is past already? And what do we read at verse 18? They were overthrowing. They were doing, uh, if you would, a great disservice to the work of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, with moronic questions. I love, I love the way that was put there. With, with, with stupid questions, okay, that are only sentenced for debate. Most often, the only thing that happens is good people get hurt. And so just don't get involved. And God tells you, this is something that we have to be aware of, we need to be alert to, and we need to to avoid. All right, third thing we find. Look at verses, let's go back to our, our text again in Titus, and look at verses 10 and 11. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. All right, so we, we've, we're going with the letter A, right? We went with the letter E this morning. We're going with the letter A. We're to affirm, verse 8. Uh, verse uh, 9, we're to avoid. What do we find in verse 10? Admonish. Come on, it's right there, admonition, but it's a little bit differently. But we're to admonish. Just put the word admonish if you have the outline. All right, who's to be admonished? A heretic. So I put the condition. A heretic. Now, um, if you're going to follow this biblical admonition, you've got to know what a heretic is. Do you know what a heretic is? Somebody's what? Somebody's Absolutely. All right? The word literally means to make a choice. When used in the sense it is here, it means to create a schism. That's the word that's often used in this or to create a divide. So a heretic, understand this, is a person who holds a divisive position and rather than keep it to himself, he propagates that and causes division in the church. And that person is a heretic. So someone who would go and spread his beliefs that are not consistent with Bible truth and cause division amongst God's people is is a heretic. Now, um, let's understand something. There are people in this church who hold differing views from one another. Not about essential doctrines, but we do. Okay? I mean, you know, some of you hold different positions than me, and you're wrong, and, you know, I'm (laughs) right. I'm kidding, all right? We hold. There, in fact, probably even in the discussion of Calvinism, as far as where we actually stand on some of the different ideas and points, we, we might have little areas in which we differ slightly in our beliefs. Right. Divorce and remarriage. Wow. That really is a divisive issue in Christianity. I mean, I, amongst, amongst amongst fundamentalists. People have a variety of views, and quite honestly, they all will turn to their scriptures and say, this is... this." Right, Everyone else is wrong. Right? that You need to know what you believe and you need to stand firm on what you believe and you need to make sure it's true according to the scripture. But to cause division over something that is debatable is wrong. And it, it might even be heretical at times if it's causing division amongst God's people in the church. There are issues, there are matters that, that to, to be brought up and to argue in those things is, uh, would be a heretical thing. Now, just because someone doesn't hold to exactly the same thing, uh, it's not condemned to discuss those differences. A heretic is one who holds an opposing view to the truth of Scripture and propagates it. Uh, Let's illustrate it. Someone gets up in Sunday school. Brother Deals gets up in Sunday school. He better not. I'm going to throw something at him if he does. And he says, God has predestined some for heaven and some for hell. Okay, um, I would hope everyone throws something at him. <coughs> no, um, I, I don't want no, don't go throwing something at him, Brother Deals, if you says something wrong, all right? But I hope you would have a serious issue with that statement, would you not? Should. Um, and, and Brother Deals, if he did that, and he's not going to, I know, but he would need to be confronted about his views. And look at the passage. Man that is a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. All right, so where do you start? What's the first thing you're supposed to do? The condition is you have a heretic. You have someone who's causing division because they stand up. Brother Deals stands up and says, I know he doesn't believe that, all right, but certain people are predestined for heaven and for hell. All right, so what do we do about them? We throw them out of the church. No, we don't. We go to Brother Deals. um, and, and, you know, I, I may end up having to preach a message on it, you know, if this becomes an issue in the church. But we go to, I go to Brother Dio's, and by the way, you should. Because he's, he's talking about, he's talking, you say, well, that's Titus. It's, really, every Christian has this responsibility. But I would go and I'd say, Brother Deals got a problem with this. There's something you're teaching that's not true to the word of God. Now, that's how we're supposed to approach it. We're supposed to approach it at least how many times? After the first and second admonition. So, isn't this is something we just throw someone out the door? This is this something we just beat someone down over? We care about it. We care about them enough to say, hey, you're disseminating information and things that aren't true to the word of God. Look, we've had that happen at Spring Meadow. It happens. It wasn't too long ago. Um, got to deal with those things. And there, there are times you got to just stand up and say, you know, right is right. Wrong is wrong. And, and sometimes you have to confront a person about their beliefs and say, we don't hold to that position here. And we're not going to teach that position here. And that teaching would be wrong. Now, I, I, I'm thankful I can say that and not concern myself with this with Brother Deals. All right. So I, we're just, you know, kind of just using that as an illustration. But the truth is, I would have to go and I'd have to confront him about it. And God has given us that God given responsibility. So we're to admonish the condition is someone who's a heretic. And if he would do that, look, he needs to be confronted about his views. If after repeated attempts, right, the first and second admonition, he doesn't see his false teaching, or he refuses to change his view, or refuses to stop promoting that view before God's people. He's not to be left in class and allowed to promote those views which are contrary to sound doctrine. Do you know there are some pastors who say, "Well, you know, we got a couple of Calvinists in our church, and I know they teach things every once in a while. And we just, we just kind of, you know, let it, let it be." No. No, 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 no. The time you have to stand up and say truth is truth, and you're not going to propagate that in our church. You don't do that about everything. You don't do that because someone gets up and says, well, I think that uh, divorce is always wrong for every reason, and there's never a reason that you should, you know. and, And, well, we don't hold to that view here. There's issues that we're going to debate, and we'll have differences in. But when someone is causing division, there's a time you go to them and you say, stop. And um, and it does need, we need God's wisdom, don't we, to know what issues are. Very important to stand firm on, and others that we might say, okay, there's room for differences. Um, So, If that's the case, then we've got to do something about it. In fact, we not only have the condition, a heretic, but we have the confrontation in this passage. A heretic isn't to be left to continue teaching, as I just said. Admonish is interesting, because it's not... I don't go up to Brother Deals and hit him over the head, slap him in the face a couple of times. Brother Deals,
1: you're wrong!
0: Uh, Admonition... Is a mild rebuke. It's a warning. Um, uh, Brother Deals got a problem with what was taught, and I'd love to, I'd love to, go out to lunch and sit down with you and tell you why we don't hold to that position, and why I don't want it, We don't want it taught here at Spring Meadow Baptist Church. and then we meet and that's where we, we if you would we, we confront um, it's clear from the text that acting on this does not mean you throw them out immediately they're confronted with a rebuke at least twice and if it continues you burn them at the stake Look, <laughs> that's what the Catholic Church did during the Inquisition They did to multitudes of people. They took offending preachers and teachers, marched them before all, called on them to denounce their heresy, and they burned them at the stake if they wouldn't. It's not quite that serious. So what does God say? Look at the, at the verse. All right? He's an heretic. First and second admonition. He has been, he has been corrected. He won't listen. So what do you do? You reject them. All right? The instruction about what to do is to shun or avoid. This is to be done by all who have been influenced by their teaching. So as a church, it means today that they be removed from their teaching position. Brother Dios, you can't teach any longer the Sunday school class. If you're going to promote that view, you just can't teach here any longer. Don't hate you, but your view is wrong And it's causing division among God's people, and so we're not going to put up with it any longer, can't teach any longer. But, you know, this idea also carries the idea of church discipline. So that we would say, Brother Deals has been promoting a doctrine that we don't hold to in our church. And we've got to, it's obvious everyone, a number of people know because it's caused division and people are talking about it. And he won't listen. I'm so thankful he doesn't have that attitude. He won't listen. So, look, as a church, he's not only going to be removed from his position, but we're also going to practice church discipline until he comes to himself and he, he realizes that, look, what I'm doing, all right, look, if he wants to continue to hold that view, it's wrong, and I don't want him to. But if he's not going to be divisive about it, then, then he can be here. Again, there's views that you and I would differ on about things. And my expectation would be as a pastor, you not get up and you teach on things that are divisive and promote your ideas, especially if you know they'd be contrary to the position we hold in our Constitution states. And if you're going to do that, then expect that this pastor and God's people and godly men are going to confront you about it. Does that make sense? Look, this is really important. This is just so ignored in churches today. We're just taught this idea. Well, we just love people, and loving people knows, means you don't do anything like this. Seriously. do You know what? The, most most people in, in, in yeah, I'm going to, this is a blanket statement, but most New Evangelical Churches would have nothing to do with what is taught in this verse. Nothing to do with it. Ah, so what? That we don't necessarily agree with. Ha. We all have our own opinion, and that's not what's supposed to happen. We had a college professor at at, um, at uh, school back in the dark ages when I went to college, and uh, started teaching Calvinism in class. I, I still remember sitting in in Bible class, and this guy. Uh, taking a passage and teaching Calvinism he was within a week he wasn't teaching at, Pen- at Pensacola anymore um, in fact I, a number of the, the students went to the administration and said do you know what was taught in class so they went back and got the video because they were vid- They videotaped so that they could y- use it to teach uh, the class with maybe groups or whatever that they would need it And, um, you know, well, yeah, this guy's teaching Calvinism. we got to remove him. Um, I know they confronted him about it, but false teaching isn't to be tolerated. It's not to be encouraged or supported. It's to be dealt with. Now, notice a contemplation. I want you to see this. This is interesting to me because you say, well, that's so cruel. In fact, most people say verse 10 is hateful. Christians who love the Lord shouldn't do such things. But look at what the next verse says. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. I want you to understand a couple things about this. This is intriguing to me because Paul helps us to think things through. You say, well, Why should we be cruel to people? That's not being cruel. There are a number of answers, and they're given here in this verse. First would be they're leading people astray, and they're causing confusion, and that's not supposed to happen. That's verse 10. But if you look at this, he says about this person, he is subverted. And you know what it means? He's been turned out of the way. So here's the right way, and he's been turned out of the way. He's going down a wrong way. So the reason he needs to be confronted, the reason he needs to be dealt with in this way, and the reason why people need to, if you would, shun, or this practice of church discipline saying, hey, until you get it right, our fellowship with you is ruined, is because he's subverted, he's going down the wrong way, and sometimes the only thing that will wake a person up going down the wrong way is, hey, you're doing wrong. Wake up. He's subverted. He's turned out of the way. Um, and so uh, restoration is possible, but he's, he's, if you would, he's taken away. He is, secondly, sinning. Notice what he says here. He's subverted and what? Sin, he is sinning. This position is a sinful position. It's wrong. He's willfully continuing in an unbiblical way, and like someone involved in gross sin, he needs to be dealt with because the ultimate goal is to restore him, and a sinner needs to be restored, and it can only take place after discipline has been practiced. But notice this. What does he say at the end? I'm sorry, that, you know, there's no three, three S's, but I'm going to give you an S anyway. What, what's the third thing in Verse 11. Okay, he's condemned of, his, of himself. He's self-condemning. There you go. Here you get your S. have heard people say of church that disciplines, you're so unloving. And it appears that way. But the church is not un- unloving, nor are they condemning the man. Do you know who is? He's condemning himself. He's saying, do something to me. Because I'm going my own way. Do, do you get that picture? So look, it's not unloving if you do. Well, you threw him out of the church. I, I've, I've had people say that about about a church that practices church discipline. You threw him out of the church. But God reveals he threw himself out if that's the case. Do you, do you understand that? Look, he's condemned of himself. He... We as a church are not casting him out. He's casting himself out. He's saying, I don't agree with these people, and I'm not willing to get it right. So the truth is, he's uh, he's doing it to himself. He's self-condemned. All right, and then in verses 12 to 15, as we close out the chapter, we use the word act. Okay? When I, when I shall send Artemis unto thee. This is all closing remarks. See, closing remarks. They're useless. Actually, they're not. There's some good things here. There are some things Titus was to do that are good lessons for us. Now, you might wonder what possible things there are to glean. So I'm going to share some of these. First, fulfill your responsibility. Let me explain. Timothy and Titus were special and precious to Paul. Timothy was like a son. Titus, it seems like, was in very much the same way. He had invested in both these men, and it's obvious that Paul was fond of these men, both of them, and found them to be very valuable to him in the ministry. So in verse 12, and as he ends it out, he's saying, Titus, I want you to come to me. You can be a help to me in the ministry. I want to see you again. I don't know if maybe he needed to discuss some of the things that were going on in these churches that he had heard, or, or whatever might be the case. Uh, he says, but when I, when I send... Uh, Artemis or Tychicus be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis for I have determined there to winter Uh, and I said fulfill your responsibility because uh, Titus was not just to pack up and leave the sheep alone okay Titus was to stay there until someone who could care for these churches would be able to replace him someone who could take the responsibility of the work and continue the work um, was going to be sent so Titus could be with Paul and if you want to make a practical application, it's this. Look, uh, everyone has gifts and abilities and talents to be used in the local New Testament church. By the way, it, you should be a member of a local church. You should serve in that local church because you have something to give. And, um, and you're important to the work. And the truth is, if you don't do your part, the work is going to suffer. That would have been the case. If Titus just up and left... Was Titus gonna, could Titus have helped Paul? He left right away? Absolutely. But there was a need within the local church. By the way, I, so, much, so few people understand how important they are to the local church. You, you're not just a, a pew a seat filler. And if that's all you see yourself as, then you misunderstand. you God-given gifts that the Spirit of God gave you when you trusted Christ as Savior. You have something to give to the church. And if you're not using it, then you're, you're failing God and you're, you're displeasing the Holy Spirit of God that gave you gifts and abilities. It's the truth. There's a lot of people like that. Boy, I, I can get off on that subject. Here's the thing. You don't leave that responsibility. If God has given that to you and God has opened that door, then... Minister there as long as you ought and and as long as you can and quite frankly uh, until someone is there to take your place until someone gives someone with the ability to take over that you need to fulfill that responsibility and I love how Paul was saying hey look you're more important to me than, than that church there Paul was saying the church is vitally important Titus it's what it's all about God's people need you And until someone can take your place and fulfill your responsibility, you just stay there and you do your job. So, fulfill your responsibility. And let let me just ask you to think about this, Christian. You've got something you're supposed to do at a local New Testament church as a Christian. Fulfill your responsibility. Do it. Stop sitting on the sidelines doing nothing. Come to church. Leave church. Come to church. Leave church. And never have anything to do with God's local church who that God gave to you and that God gifted you with something to give, serve, and fulfill your responsibility. That was free. But it's, it's in the, the context and the idea that Titus had a job to do and he wasn't supposed to just walk off and, and not fulfill it any longer. Second thing to act on, upon as a Christian, show hospitality. Christians are to show hospitality. Pastors are, Christians are. Who is Zenos and Apollos. Some suggest Apollos was the guy talked about earlier in the book of Acts, who Aquila and Priscilla took time to invest in and help him grow in the faith because he, could, he was an eloquent speaker. Uh, we don't know if that actually was him. Uh, I th- we, we might assume. We don't know exactly. One was a lawyer. We don't have anything to do with lawyers. No, Uh, a lawyer was not in our sense. It meant, I believe, he was able to teach the law, the word of God. So we had an eloquent speaker, if it was Apollos, and Zenos, who was a man who could teach the word of God, and they were traveling together. What were they doing? Well, probably helping believers grow in Jesus Christ and faith. And here's what he said. These men are serving God, so help them. Show hospitality. Uh, What does that have for us? There are obligations upon us uh, to... Well, first of all, if someone would come and minister the word of God to us, we have a responsibility. Let me tell you something. We need to treat an evangelist right when they come to our church, financially. We need to make sure that their needs are met because God's given them a gift. They're using that gift, and that it falls upon us, and we need to take very seriously our responsibility. When you consider giving, you need to consider what what. What you need to live on a regular basis financially, and you need to think about that when you give as far as an offering is concerned. You should, because we need to, to make sure that are, their needs are met, just like, just like your needs. Because you have bills, and you know what it costs to live in, in our world and in our society, and we need to make sure that that's, that is cared for, and those needs are met. So we have that kind of responsibility there, showing hospitality would be meeting that kind of need. Titus was told, "Meet the needs of these men, though, while they're passing through. So here's the thing. Don't make sure nothing's lacking, he says. as a church, uh, we ought be, be under, to understand this fact that we're to care for one another or we're to care for God's people. So if God would give us the opportunity to minister, hey, listen, if someone would be passing through, that's a, that's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, um, and there's a way we can be a blessing to them and meet their needs and help them on their way. As a Christian, we should do that. Titus was given this responsibility for men serving God outside the local church. Um, But the fact is that inside the local church, hospitality is to be shown as well to God's people. We ought to be given the hospitality. Another thing to act upon, verse 14 and 15. Let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. Live godly. Good works are part of Christians' needful employment. I love the way it's put there. Um, that seems to be the point made in the first phrase of verse 14. Let us also learn to maintain good works. Um, you know, good works are your, your needful employment as a Christian. This is, say, this is my job. This is what I'm employed to do. And And here's the idea. I should employ myself in this work of doing others good because that's fruitful Christianity. That they shouldn't be unfruitful. Fruitful Christianity in, in my life is doing others good as a Christian, doing fellow believers good. That's fruitful. Um, I think that's a great way to uh, be involved in this coming year with one another. Um, interesting phrase here. Uh, let, a, uh, let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses. Um, Vincent's Word Studies explains, and it says, whatever occasion may demand them. In other words, good works are something I'm to think about and be ready to do, not in my time frame, not how I see fit, but when occasion demands. So I hear about a need. Someone in our church has a need with with something. It it should not take an act of Congress, my wife, sending notice to everyone in the church. We need someone to do this for so-and-so. You, you know what should be happening if if um if someone someone is going to have a surgery, um, it should be such that God's people would be would be well, coming to my wife or coming to the lady of the month saying, "What can we do to help so and so because they're going to be having surgery not well, no one called me. But just, I'm looking for an opportunity. And, 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 um, and Mrs. Davis said she didn't have surgery. surgery. I'm sure she, she could use a meal. So I'm just going to go ask. What can I do? Y- you know how, what a blessing that would be? Brother Morris, wouldn't that be a blessing if people at the church and, and thinking that way? Yeah, rather than- okay, I need six volunteers to make meals. Okay, that's one. <laughs> all right. Well, that's two. We still need four. I'm going to start calling people. Come on, seriously. Really, we, just, we, we should have people that, um, it, for necessary uses, all right, just because I, I'm, I'm looking for opportunities. When the situation arises, I'm just ready to jump in at the chance to be involved and to serve. Imagine what it'd be like if we had so many volunteers just jumping up, ready right, to. Uh, I need I need six people to make meals. I'll do it. Ooh wow! I got twelve hands. Okay, someone's raising two hands. Okay, whatever. But I got I got twelve hands. I don't even know what we're gonna do. Well, let's let's provide more meals than that. Let's provide meals for nine days. Let's provide meals for twelve days. Let's do it. Because a fellow believer has a need. Um, Someone suggests this verse relates back to the need of the church in chapter 1 and verse 12 where they, they, were, they were lazy people. They were sitting back doing nothing. Let me give you a picture of this, uh, this at a church activity. We have lunch at the church, and after the service is done, there's a number of men who just get up, and they go over to that door. They open the door. They get the, start getting the tables out. People start turning chairs around, which, by the way, happens. This is a great blessing all right, they're starting to get things right, they're, they're kicking people out, telling people to move their Bibles, uh, you know, doing whatever they need to do, lovingly, okay, but they're helping to set things up, ladies are in the kitchen, and they're just getting things around, and, and everything else, so that, really, in about 10 minutes, we're ready to serve a meal, and then, um, after things are done, if this is being, if this is being lived out, after things are done, People aren't, okay, we got to get going with our kids so we get our stuff together and let's go out the door. We're thinking, you know, this church is going to have to be cleaned up. Tables are going to have to be put away. And, um, the The chairs are going to have to be put back because we got a service Sunday night. So and I'm going to do what I can. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of dishes that are dirty in the kitchen. I'm just going to go in and I'm going to start working. I'm going to just... Oh get the dishwashing detergent, I'm going to go to it until the, until the kitchen's cleaned up and everything else, because that's a need. I'll tell you, if that kind of, here's, here's someone, else is, is, is working. hey, hey, what are you sitting for, you going to help us No one asked me. No one should have to. I'm going to stop right there and let it sink in. No one should have to. Because a Christian looking for opportunities is a Christian who's living Titus chapter 3. So look, don't sit back saying, Just get involved. Uh, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from Titus chapter 3. Wow. I can't believe it. Over time. But you've been very patient. I hope you've been challenged. I was reminded of these very simple things. They're basic things, but they're just needs. And the church would be so much better if people would just learn what Paul taught, taught Titus and told him. There is not, not going to be any invitation to